This morning I'm going to speak about the king who frees. And you know, even as I was spending time preparing, I was thinking, how do you usher that in? How do you bring that about? How do you speak into and lead people into encountering the king who sets free? And I want to say, you can't do it. He does it. He has to arrive, he has to pitch up, and he's got to show himself strong on your behalf and break through to bring you into the freedom that you call to. And so that is just a beautiful moment of worship, and I just thank the team and everyone who facilitated that, and we just thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you that you are here having your way. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are breaking chains and changing lives here this morning. Such a beautiful thing. Because even as we come to spend time in this gospel, the gospel of Mark and the immediacy of all that takes place here, we recognize that we are here not just to learn about Jesus, but to encounter Jesus. You know, there's the Jesus that we love to speak about and to, um, to research into in terms of the culture and the context of his day. And you cannot debate the historical fact around that, but there is also the Jesus who lives. That's a personal statement of faith that I get to make because he's alive and he's changing me, he's working in me, he's reestablishing, reinvigorating, he's doing a new thing in me. And it's awesome to get to share about that. I am going to pull out some of my message. I'm speaking the same message tonight. So if you want to come back, maybe it's for the worship and not me. That would be awesome. Come along. Mark 5, 1 to 20, and won't be to 20. Okay, let's start off. Verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and other versions would say the Gadarenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately... There met him a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran down before him. If you're reading in the New King James, it would say, he worshipped him, he knelt down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out, Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion. For we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. And we know that he gets sent off into, um, the legion gets sent off into a herd of pigs. And legion would mean a number of around 6,000. And there were about 2,000 pigs that run off into the water once that takes place. But we're talking about the king who sets free. And I want to say that as we look at this, the first point I want to bring is we have a king who sets free. But here's the first point. He is a king who shows up. No matter where you might find yourself, no matter what you might be facing, no matter what's going on around you, he is the king who shows up. And this is the moment where Jesus is encountering the demoniac. Luke 19 verse 10 says, he comes to seek and save the lost. He shows up. That's what he does. And, and here there's this demoniac. He's got a sense of no worth. He's got a sense of no value. If you're reading in Luke's account, it says he had no clothes and he had no home. He's living in a cemetery among tombs. He's been marked by society. 
He was a man who didn't look worthy of a one-on-one encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But Jesus is the King who shows up. And it shows something about Jesus' character, and it reveals something about the heart of the Father as we see what takes place in this exchange. Because what do you do when you have no hope left? Can I ask that question? Where do you go and what do you do when you have no hope left? This is a man who's got no friends, no family, no relations around him. He's been stuck in a tomb of bad decisions and regrets and wishing he hadn't done it that way, wishing that he could live any other life than the life that he had because he's trying to take his own life. And the only time people would come to check up on him was to see if he was still bound. No one was coming to him to see if he was free. No one was coming to him to see if they could care for him. No one was coming to him to see if they could connect and encourage him. They just wanted to make sure this man was still bound because he had gone too far. He was too far down the road. There was no help for him. There was no intervention that could take place. It was just better just to cast him out and let him disappear. How often we give up on people that God has not given up on. And this guy's so demonized that he's breaking his shackles at will. He's got superhuman strength. No one could subdue him, it said. No one could tame him. You see, binding him wasn't the answer. He was already so bound by the devil, that wouldn't be the answer. The answer was to loose him, but they couldn't see that. They didn't realize that because he looked like he was free from worldly standards. I want to say that you can look like you're free, but false freedom is still slavery. False freedom is still slavery. Doesn't matter what car you're driving and where you can drive it. Doesn't matter how big your house is and how expensive. Doesn't matter how big your bank account is and where it can send you and who it can introduce you to. I want to say false freedom is still slavery. And there's only one who can set us free. And it's the king who sets free. catch my breath here. This man is in a region called the Gadarenes. And the word Gadarene means reward at the end. Isn't that powerful? You're hearing where he's at. You're hearing what's going on. And he's in a region where it's called there's a reward at the end. I want to say some of us are living in a place where it might feel like a cemetery. It might feel we're like in a tomb of broken hopes and broken dreams. It might feel like there's no hope. It might feel like we've got nowhere to go and no one to connect with. It might feel like you're at the end of your rope. Where can you go from here? There's nowhere to go, but there's a reward at the end because there's a king who shows up. And so while he's feeling that he has been uh, crying out, while he's cutting himself, while he's in this tomb on this side, on the other side of the lake, there's a king who is preaching. And people are being healed and people are being set free. People are being delivered. And this king is making his way across. We're going to see that in just a moment because he's the king who shows up. And so we see that Jesus has been preaching. He's preaching on the boat. There are crowds all around him. And in the midst of this, he's grown tired. And he says to his disciples, let's head out in the water. Let's go across to the other side. I'm sure that Peter was thinking, you know, Jesus... This is the heart of ministry. You know, it's been building up. We've seen amazing things. But look at these crowds. It cannot get better than this. We've seen healing. We've seen deliverance. We've seen profound teaching. We've seen lives being touched and changed. The numbers are coming. Why are you wanting to go? That's what he's thinking in his head, most likely. But Jesus says this. 
He gets in the boat and he makes the statement, let's go to the other side, opposite of Galilee, to the other end of the spectrum. You see, Galilee was where the glory of God was on display, the miracles, the healings, the crowds. But sometimes the heart of Jesus has moved beyond what we can see to go to the other side, the other side of the street, the other side of the neighborhood, the other side of the city, the other side of the nation, to the places we wouldn't normally be moved. But something is awakened in Jesus' heart, and he's saying, let's go to the other side. And Peter's thinking, well, maybe it's going to be that the crowds there will be double the number here. And he turns to the other disciples, and he says, I bet we're going to see thousands more than we saw here. And Thomas responds and says, I hardly doubt that. And Judas in his head is working out the mental arithmetic of of maybe what an offering could look like in that setting. Because they're caught up with the crowds. But I want to say Jesus is never impressed with the crowd. He cares about the crowd. He loves the crowd. He ministers to the crowd. But he's searching for a one-on-one encounter with you and with me. Even as we're sitting here corporately together, he wants a one-on-one encounter with who you are. And it says that as they're heading over, there's a storm that rises up, and the disciples are terrified. Mark 4, verse 38, they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? How quick they forget who he is, his heart, his love, the compassion that we've seen him operating in, the care that we've seen him, the tenderness of heart. How quickly they forget because their eyes are on the storm, and they are terrified, and they have lost sight of who Jesus is. We can get so terrified in terms of what we are looking at that we lose connection with the heart of Jesus. And here's the key. If you get this, this will be enough. Living conscious of God's heart for us keeps us in a place of peace. Living conscious of God's heart for you will keep you in a place of peace. Because peace is more than just the absence of fear. It's more than just the absence of anxiety. It's more than just the absence of hardships or noise or or conflict. Peace is a person. And it's the atmosphere of heaven. And so when we are convinced and we are conscious of God's heart for us, it keeps us in a place of peace. But here's the other aspect. Losing our peace usually involves making a mental agreement with a lie until our emotions become captive to that lie. Losing our peace usually involves making a mental agreement with a lie until our emotions become captive to that lie. You see the disciples, the storm is coming, and something about the storm starts to attack the heartbeat, the character, the nature of Jesus, and they start to believe the lie to the extent that their emotions become captive to the lie and they're disengaged from the truth of who Jesus is. What lies have we been listening to and coming into agreement with that have taken us captive? Because I want to say that the truth will set you free. And Jesus comes full of grace and truth. And he awakes and he says, peace be still and rebukes the storm. And he says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Do you still not know who I am? Do you still not know how faithful I am, how I operate, my tenderness of heart towards you? And it says, once this happened, that they were greatly afraid. It's amazing. They were afraid before, but now there's great fear. I want to say sometimes it's more frightening to have the God of the universe in the boat than the storm that is outside the boat. Chapter 5. Let me get into it. The demoniac is running to Jesus. 
you find it time and time again with Jesus that people gravitate to him rather than run away from him. How often today do people come and they encounter religion and what they do is they run. I want to say if Jesus is in the house, King of kings, Lord and Lord of lords, and his presence is here, you'll see people running to the life here, out of darkness to the light, out of brokenness to wholeness, out of being captive into the freedom of what his presence brings in the midst of us as we gather as his people. That's what happens when Jesus is in the house. And he's encountering the demoniac who's got over 2,000 demons. You know, legion means 6,000. So there were 2,000 pigs. So somewhere between 2,000 and 6,000 or how many demons have gone into these pigs. So they might have been, um, had multiple demons at work in their life. They're 2,000 demons. Can you imagine that? That's, that's like 2,000 aspects of sin, agreement with the enemy that this guy has come into in terms of partnering with lies. 2,000. I mean, are there even that many sins? I mean, there's pride, there's hatred, there's lust, there's jealousy, there's greed, and I'm at a loss for words. I don't know how many more. There's 2,000. You would think, I mean, what sort of person is this? But it still wasn't enough to keep Jesus away because he is the king that shows up. He is the king that sets free. You see, it doesn't matter what you've been doing. It doesn't matter what you've been saying. It doesn't matter what you've been looking at. It doesn't matter where you've been going. It doesn't matter what you, how you've been behaving. I want to say it's not enough to keep Jesus away from you. He's going to pursue you. He's going to come after you. He's going to fight for you. He's going to come across the water for you. He's going to come through the storm for you because he is the king that shows up and he's not intimidated by that which intimidates everyone else. This man's been stuck in the mountains and the tombs. It's a picture of bipolar and depression. There's been the hearts and there's been the lows, but in all of it, there's a brokenness and he's, he, he's dying and he's in the cemetery. And he's feeling like he's never going to be free, that he's unworthy. He's been crying out and he starts to cut himself with stones. It's the Greek word for stone there is lithos, which is the Hebrew meaning, if you look at the word for stone tablets, it's a picture of the law. And he's been cutting himself with the law saying, I'm not worthy, I can't do it. I'm just being frustrated. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the ability. I can never be good enough. And there's condemnation. And he's stuck in relics of brokenness and tombstones of things he can never accomplish. But in the midst of that, where law fails, grace abounds. And Jesus, full of grace and truth arrives on the scene. Grace to meet you where you're at and truth to set you free. That is the Jesus of the Gospels. And in the midst of being out of his mind, in the midst of the demonic torment, in the midst of cutting himself, he recognizes something. The storm has stopped. The atmosphere has changed. The deafening noise of the demons has been silenced. And from afar, he sees someone coming along the shore. And it's a man who has the look of freedom about him. It is a man who has the look of liberty and salvation and deliverance and royalty because the king of kings has arrived and everything has changed because he's the king who sets free. And he's running 
He's running. Sitting with Alexander Fenter on Friday, talking about this verse, and he said, we need to know, here's a kingdom truth, we need to know that no person, we've got no excuse, hear this, we need to know that no person can be so demonized or under the influence of the devil that they cannot of their own will come to Jesus. No person. There's no power, there's no influence, there's no demonic assault against you that can ever stop you from out of your own will pursuing Jesus. And I love this because he's running to Jesus. And that which has taken him captive, he has suddenly taken, he's taken his captors captive and he's running to Jesus. And the devil are thinking, the devils are thinking, what the heaven is happening? And they're terrified. That is good. He is the king who sets free. He is the king who shows up, but he's also the king who speaks up. And as this man runs to him, he throws himself at the feet of Jesus and he worships him. Here's the scene. Jesus is on the shore. The man is on his knees. The demons are up in arms. The storm has been silenced and the pigs are getting pretty nervous. And he doesn't know who this man is. He's never heard the beauty of his name before. But there's something about the way he looks. And he runs and he throws himself at his feet and worships. It's the word proskuneo. It means to lay prostrate. It means to lay yourself in the dust, to lay down in that which you were created from, that which you came from, to be reminded that you are nothing without him, but it's his very breath in your lungs by which you get to sing our praise and worship back to him. And this guy, at this moment, he's got one play. He's got one moment. He's got one opportunity. He's felt like he was at the end, and he sees this man before him, and he starts to run, and the demons start to shriek, and he starts to worship, because no matter how big the giants are of what you might be facing, no matter how loud their voice is, when you come before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he is greater still. He is greater still. And he starts to worship because he realizes my reward is at the end of worship. in the place where the reward is at the end. And he's seen the one who is the beginning and the end. And there's a new beginning for him. A new life. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. New King James had said he worshipped. And here's something that takes place. Don't miss the, the change in the verse because this man is on his knees worshiping and the next verse says, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. You see, the shift has happened. So get a bit emotional. You see, the shift has happened. <laughs> and in the midst of his worship, Jesus starts to speak. 
And as he starts to speak, he is rebuking the enemy because the next line says, for he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So while this man is worshiping, Jesus is saying, come out. The demon starts begging, please, whinging and whimpering, please, don't, don't send, please, what are you going to do with me? The devil is pleading and Jesus responds to his pleas like this, not answering them, what is your name? To which he responds, legion, which might have seemed intimidating. 6,000 gathered against, but not in front of the king who sets free. And legion recognizes there's a look about this man's disposition and the set of his jaw where I'm not going to get anywhere. So he says, okay, will you just at least send me into the pigs? And Jesus allows that, and the pigs run into the water because not even the pigs are stupid enough to live in that sort of torment. How can one man live with that many when 2,000 pigs say, forget this? I'm going to finish with this. When the king who sets free is present, it provokes evil to manifest. It provokes it to come into the open because it will always try to hide as long as possible, but it has to expose itself when a greater authority emerges. And the king is on the scene. And the king is speaking up. And when he speaks, here's another kingdom key for you. The king's word is authoritative over all the authority of the enemy. The king's word is authoritative over all the authority of the, of the enemy and of evil. It operates at the highest level of the kingdom. And though the battle might seem protracted, he's had to say, come out twice. Though it might seem protracted, it always accomplishes that which it was sent forth to do. You see, sometimes... In our humanity, we can name our bondages, but there's no way we can tame them. There's no way we can set ourselves free from them. There's nothing we can do there. I was at 2.30 this morning. I felt a voice say, go and prepare a different message and come up with tools and ways that they can come into freedom. And I felt myself anxious and I thought, I need to do that. I can't preach this message. And then I felt the Lord say, I am the king who sets free. You see, he speaks life-changing words over us, words of freedom and favor. Hebrews 12, 24 says, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood called out for justice, but the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. It doesn't only speak out the absence of justice, which is a beautiful thing. That's forgiveness for us. But more than that, it is actively speaking favor over your life and mine. We not only have freedom, but we have favor. And the reason being is this, because in Jesus, we have found favor in God's eyes, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is in us. And all of heaven is attracted to the Jesus in you and me. All of the favor of heaven is attracted to Jesus in you and me. Isn't that a beautiful thing to know? And he is singing songs of deliverance over us. We see the pigs run into the water. And then what happens? He's the king who shows up. He is the king who speaks up. And he is the king who straightens up. We see this individual. It says they came to Jesus. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man 
the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. He's the king that straightens us up. Spurgeon says this, they feared and trembled in the presence of almighty mercy. Omnipotent love awoke no joy in their hearts because they had become accustomed to bondage. Here at Harvest, we are not going to be a people that have more ease adjusting to bondage than to the reality of the freedom that Jesus brings. He was in his right mind. In Luke 8 of the same verse, it said, made well, made well, which means sozo. It speaks of salvation. It says he was in right relationship to God. His relationship was made right. That his purpose was recovered. That he was free from spiritual oppression. That his body was restored. Salvation is the complete restoration of our whole being, soul, mind, emotions, will, and body. And it's the entrance to living a free life. It's the entrance to living a free life. Because who the Son sets free... It's free indeed. And then he says to the man who had no home and who had no friends, had no purpose, had no reason to live, he says this in verse 19, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has shown his mercy to you, his kindness to you, his love to you, his grace to you. Go and share that. Go and tell them that because the, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. And Jesus, we've seen before, had healed the blind man and the blind man went and he went before the religious leaders of the day and they said, Where, who had sinned, you or your parents? And when did he heal you on a Sabbath? And who was this man that healed you? And they're questioning him and questioning him and questioning him till he got to the moment where he says, I cannot answer all your questions. All I can do is tell you this. I was blind, but now I see. And you get to go and share. I was captive. I was in bondage. I was whatever it might be. And you get to go and see, say and to share and to encourage and say, now I'm free. He's a king that shows up. He's a king that speaks up. He's a king that straightens us up. And he's a king that sends us out with a mission and a purpose to bring him glory. So, Lord, we thank you for your freedom in this house. We thank you for that your word says, where the Lord is, the Spirit is. And where the Spirit is, there is freedom. I thank you, Lord, even as we heard earlier, that you are the Lord who commands the hosts of heaven. I thank you, Lord, that we don't turn our attention onto any demonic captivity or bondage, but we are aware of the freedom that we have in you. And I thank you, Lord, that this house would be a rallying point for where people can come and encounter the goodness of the good news, of the gospel, of salvation, which sets people free, sets them alight, gives them a reason to live, gives them something to shout about, gives them the sense of knowing righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I pray that in your name, Lord. Amen.